0: and welcome to Better Words. My name is Caitlin and I'm just a bookish babe. And I'm Michelle and I
1: blog at the Unfinished Bookshelf. Hey Caitlin, how are you? Hey Michelle. (laughs) We both like, wait, who's going to go next? (laughs) I know, we said the intro, what happens
0: then? Just
1: talking? Basically, yes. Mm -hmm. Um, Welcome to this week's episode I was like, the word in my head was addition. It's been a very long day. <laughs> yes, no, I can relate to that as and well. And I was like, books, edition, you know. Anyway, welcome to this week's episode. Um, the first thing I wanted to talk about is I, Tonya, because you saw it a few weeks ago. I saw it last week. I loved it so much. Yeah, it's so good. <sighs> and this is
0: where I get reminded again that we've been saying for the past three weeks that we should talk about the Oscars. I think Whoops. now's the time to just <laughs> dismiss that. We will talk about the Oscars when they happen, which is some point in March, I think.
1: Yeah. Do you do you know who's nominated? Like, are there just things you want to see win awards? Because I have, I have a couple. Yes. I mean, well, I, let's just I now, shoot with what you want to
0: see awarded. I now want Margot Robbie to win for this Agreed. movie because I think it will be incredibly tough so good. Though. Oh, I know it always yeah. is. Like, part of me is like. Does this movie deserve like all the Oscars? And the other part is like, Margo, oh, 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 so, so, so good, so good. Yeah, no, I really think like I'm ama- I'm so thrilled that she's nominated, and I hope that she wins. But I don't remember who else is
1: nominated. So. <laughs> I just know that they were incredibly. I think there was someone from that. The three billboards movie, which has been getting incredible praise, yeah. and there's just it's a lot of tough competition. Um, and I, Lady Ladybird and stuff yeah, like that, yeah, Ladybird, it's getting a lot of praise. I don't even know what that's about. Um, I don't really know what it's about either, but a friend of mine was saying that it's like well exceeded her expectations and she really enjoyed it. Um, the lead in that, and I cannot pronounce her name because it's very Irish. Isn't
0: it isn't it supposed to be pronounced like Searsha Ronan?
1: That is not how it's
0: spelled. Those crafty I know, Irish. I know. <laughs> Do you know how I know this? Because I'm pretty sure a main character in a Cecilia Hearn book is named is named that name. Oh. And um it's like tells you how to pronounce you know, like Herm Hermione, you know, like oh, that. Oh yeah. yeah. Or so. um, another classic,
1: <laughs> classic Irish example, Siobhan, spelt like S-I-O-B-H-A-N. Yeah, like, yeah. So I think it's supposed oh. to be Sia. Okay. Well, she is, like, brilliant in one of my favourite movies of all time, Brooklyn, which I just – it's so beautiful and romantic and just utterly gorgeous, and she is amazing in that. So probably wouldn't mind if she won. Yeah. <laughs> but um, the two that I really want to see get lots and lots of accolades are The Post and Get Out, which – I loved, even though I'm not a huge fan of horror movies, but Get Out was really, really good. I haven't seen either of those.
0: But um, I do want uh, The Greatest Showman to win Best Song. (laughs) But, I mean, I don't really know how it can't, and I can't even remember what it's up against. Not like last year when it was like (gasps) La La Land versus (laughs) Moana. I don't even remember which one won, but I think it was La La Land and I feel like it shouldn't have.
1: Mm. anyway well um, I mean there was a lot of that going on with La La Land at the Oscars wasn't there yes there was
0: um (laughs) I actually have something else sort of related
1: to La La Land to talk about are you about to cut me off I just want to say one little thing with I, Tonya yes just before we go completely off the subject um got total Stephen Ray Morris vibes from uh her husband's mo sebastian stan sebastian stan he him. was so great he's so great. um so stephen ray morris for people who don't listen to my favorite murder he's the producer um, and he's become like he's like the third like even though his face isn't on the thing he's beloved by fans um, and he just has the same mo it was brilliant uh, and i just i loved the um the actual footage that was included yes and it was awesome this this whole thing happened before we were born so I think you're probably in the same boat as me where you kind of know a little bit about it enough to be intrigued but not enough that what unfolds isn't like brand new information yeah
0: except I I mean it kind of was brand new information a lot of it because what I guess I don't know what the right word is almost like the you know the story surrounding this what is an incredible story um that I had heard or sort of my understanding was that Tonya Harding like attacked Nancy herself with an ice skate, and that is which is completely what untrue. happened, yeah. Um, and it was really funny actually, cause like the day after I saw the movie, I mentioned to someone at work, which is like while we we're eating lunch that I'd seen it. And someone else was like, oh wait, what's that about again? And this other person explained it and that's what she
1: said. And I was like, no, no. but that's not what happened.
0: <laughs> I was like, it was a baton thingy.
1: Uh, yeah. And, I, and it wasn't Tonya. sorry, um, no, exactly. She who, wasn't who even there. She was in a different state. The attack. Um, I think the really interesting thing and, and something that's always important to keep in mind as well that this shows is that you know there's this idea and it's panned about by like lots of politicians and stuff which is you know work hard and you'll get ahead and you'll be fine but I think what this shows is that sometimes you can have all the talent in the world and you can work as hard as you want but there are certain Mm -hmm. barriers be it race or gender or social class as in Tonya's case that a, a prevent you from moving forward the same way other people do it. And that's, that's where privilege comes in. That yeah. For some people in, in I, Tonya, in the case of that, people who could afford the amazing skating lessons and the amazing costumes
0: yeah.
1: are going to get awarded better because they look the part, whereas Tonya might've had more of the raw talent. Um, so I think that that was like a really good example of how, um, equality and equity aren't always the same thing yeah, and no, how definitely. privilege can work to undermine in, parts in, yeah, of society. In many ways, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and you can translate across a lot of things. Anyway, I want to hear what you have to say now. Okay,
0: <laughs> so what I was going to say about the writers of La La, La La Land. the songs in La La Land, um, they also wrote the songs in uh, the Greatest Showman, which just goes to show that my issue with La La Land was not with the writing of the songs; it was with who was singing them. Yes. Anyway, I also um, had issues
1: with the plot line,
0: but oh yeah, that's yeah, a whole separate thing. <laughs> so, um, no, really, like the songs—if you listen to them by themselves, but the songs are nice. It was, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so fun fact: those two men, I believe, I don't even remember their names, um, also wrote a song for the musical episode of The Flash, which was like a crossover episode with Supergirl. And you finally Uh, watched it. I finally (laughs) watched it. Um, So The Flash um, and Supergirl, these Arrow DC shows that I've been watching and obsessing over and been mentioning almost nothing else on these podcasts. Um, Grant Gustin, who stars as The Flash, was on Glee, was a tap dancer, you know, musical background. (laughs) Um, Melissa Benoist, who is Supergirl, was on Glee, musical background, went to school in New York, blah, blah, blah. Um, The actor they got to play, the musical master, who is the villain, Darren (laughs) Chris. Awesome. Was on Glee, musical background. I'm just going to keep repeating myself. Um, But the amazing thing with these shows is actually a whole range of characters have very impressive Broadway and West End credits to their name and, you know, The proper musical people. Proper musical people. So in this episode, um, the musical master, like, puts um, Barry and Cara into, like, a dream. So they do bring a couple of random characters who have good musical experience (laughs) from the other shows just – just because they can sing, Um, and that did include a uh, a main character who is now dead on Arrow because it's a dream so you can bring people back and a character from DC Legends of Tomorrow. And it did also incorporate some other characters um, from these other two shows, um, including Jeremy Jordan from (laughs) of Girl and Carlos Welds from The Flash both of whom have musical experience and Broadway experience, um, and they were just my faves because I just <laughs> I love their characters of like Wynne and Cisco, and it was just so cool. Anyway, um, so what I was like, yeah. So they wrote the people who wrote the songs for La La Land and The Greatest Showman wrote the closing song of the episode when Barry sings like a nice romantic solo. It's called Running Home to You, ha, Running Flash. Anyway, mm-hmm. and so that was amazing. Um, and the other song, which I think is probably my favourite, um, in the episode was a tap duet between Kara and Barry, Supergirl and The Flash, um, written by Rachel Bloom of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which is also on the CW, which is why she wrote it. Um, but it's very, it sounds a lot like her. It's very cute. It's called super Friend. So they're just like, I'm your super friend. It's very cute. Um. And the other favorite song was Darren Chris's like opening number, which was um, put a little love in your heart or whatever it is. Oh, no. um, Which was just (laughs) awesome. And like everyone who could sing was just there and they all had a go. It was great. Oh. So, yeah, I've just talked about the one episode of a TV show for about (laughs) five minutes because it was awesome. I watched that on Sunday with
1: my brother and I have been listening to those three songs like nonstop (laughs) since. Um, the only other thing I want to mention before we get into our interview, which is a really exciting one this week, is um, our lovely friend Grace Latter, uh, who was on it with us a couple of episodes ago. Um, she is shaving her head in March for um, the Brain Tumor Charity. Um, I hope I've got that right. I think that's what they're called. Yes. Um, And we will include a link to her Just Giving page. Um, So she's raising money. She's already um, smashed her goal of £500 and um, she's going for £1,000. But if you're in Australia, you should still donate because, um, as I found out today, there's a really simple way to switch your donation amount to Australian dollars. So you can give in Australian dollars instead of pounds um, or US dollars as well. And Grace also shares her personal story on there, her um, her experience with uh, brain cancer and why she is doing this and why it's such a personal thing. And even if you're not going, you don't have the resources to donate, um, take the time to read that because it's um, brain cancer is just devastating and Grace is such a beautiful human being yeah and it would be really lovely to see people supporting her in this and supporting other people who are going through a really tough time so yeah we will include a link to that but for now um, enjoy the interview that we have Our guest this week is the program coordinator for the Center for Youth Literature. She's a passionate advocate for youth literature and sits on the Melbourne Writers' Festival Schools Advisory Committee and the Express Media Board. She also has a background as a teacher and was a well-known young adult blogger uh, who was known as Pusnickety Snark. Welcome to Better Words, Adele Walsh. Oh, thanks for having me, ladies. (laughs) Thank you so much for (laughs) joining us. Um... Even though, yeah, right. like you were just telling us before we started recording, you've just had a horrible flu.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't wish that, wish that <laughs> on my enemy. Um, but thankfully, in the <laughs> past, hopefully. But uh, yes, I will never complain.
0: <laughs> never complain again. about a common cold ever again.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh no, I bring on the sniffles, the flu can hell. Oh. <laughs> um So I thought we'd start with like your really awesome career switch. So... From what I um, gather in my research, you basically use your blogging platform to transition into what sounds like a dream role um, at the Center for Youth Literature. So, can you talk us through that?
2: <laughs> um, that makes it sound like it was strategic, which it was not. <laughs> so, thank you very much. Um, actually, no, it wasn't. Um, it wasn't even purposeful actually. I um, was an English teacher in a low economic um, suburb in um, in Adelaide and um, they didn't have a library and I was teaching year eight and year nine English um, to ESL students, which is English as a second language. Um, and I realized that um, they didn't really have anything to read, even if they were engaging with it. So um, I had been reading uh, YA Review blogs for a couple of years. At that point, this is in two thousand and eight, so this is pretty early on. And um, I decided the best way for me to get um, resources for my students was to blog and hopefully get review copies that I could then create a library with. So um, I started Pusnicky Snack as a means to ensure that my students had access to good reading material, and um, I was very strategic about that. I spent my whole Christmas break. Um, reviewing everything I had read recently in YA or that I really loved um and then I (laughs) I worked out all the publicist's emails from looking at the publishing email conventions and Mm -hmm. I would write targeted emails to each of the publishing houses tell them what I was doing um show them the blog which I'd spent a good two weeks just building up a lot of content on and um pointing them to the reviews of books that were in their catalogue. And then I explained that I would like to be on their review lists and that the books would then be going to kids. Um, so it was very, very strategic, um, but my kids didn't really have a lot. So, um, and within two weeks I was getting, I wasn't just getting review copies, I was getting boxes of books for my kids. So um, from there, Snickety Snarks sort of, it blew up really fast, actually. I was I was known internationally probably within the first month, but some of that was due to the fact that um, I love Melina Marquetta <laughs> with A Fiery Passion of a Thousand Sons. Um, on the Delica Road is my favourite book. And at that time um, she was um, – I decided to interview her because I had a reason to now – so I sent her an email and asked if I could interview her and if she could write a guest post and all this. And she said, yeah, she would. Um, and so weirdly, the month that I asked her to do that was the month she won the Prince oh. Award for on the jell Road. So some of it was just a lot of hard work and some of it was just the lack of timing. Um, so it kind of blew up. But that's a really long story. <laughs> but to fast forward... Um, because of um, what I was doing blogging wise, I had a lot of connections in publishing and I'd made a lot of friendships. Um, and then when the job came up, the Centre for Youth Literature, I think a lot of people thought I got that because of the blogging, um, which is really not probably the case. The reason I was really appropriate for the job was I'd been working on grant submissions as a teacher, I had the teaching background, I had Built libraries and other schools um, in an informal basis. And I'd done a lot of other things that the job entails, not just the blogging. But the blogging definitely helped. So I was able to transition. Um, but I never thought I'd get that job in a million years. I thought they gave me a job, the interview, as an encouragement. <laughs> I know, I know. I told my mum, I think they just gave me a pity interview. Like, I really. I I, I went for it thinking, oh, there's not a chance in heck. um, And I was living in Japan at that point and I did my interview via Skype. It dropped out three times in the hour. And um, I can remember saying to my mum, like, it was a really fun interview, but there's no way. Like, they were just being nice. They were just being encouraging to a young upstart because I think I was 28, which actually doesn't sound too young now. (laughs) Um, And, um, yeah, I got the job, which I think surprised a lot of people. I wasn't from Melbourne. I wasn't from libraries, I wasn't from the art scene, um, and I was from South Australia. <laughs> so um, it surprised a lot of people, but um, it's a job that I think I'm incredibly well-suited to and I'm really passionate about and have loved doing. This week actually celebrates seven years in the position, oh, so yeah. and here I
0: am.
1: Wonderful. That's amazing. <laughs> That's exciting. Wow.
2: It is, but it's also a very long answer, oh. so apologies for that. This podcast <laughs>
1: is all about chatting. Yeah. <laughs> That's a is- Yeah. Yeah, that is so cool.
2: It, it, it is. I thought it was really interesting. Um, while I was blogging, um, I just had really good timing. I was at the start of it. I think I was one of the first or the first or one of the first YA review bloggers in Australia. Um, at the same time, Steph Bow, who started at that time too, and um um I think a lot of people it blogging's changed a lot at that point it was a lot of people just sharing um what they like to read and maybe the free books aspect um I think it's become a lot more purposeful and people trying to get careers out of it and that was beginning to happen when I was in it but um I think it's definitely become a bit more of like a internship or a a step on the way into publishing or being a published writer or or something like that. For for me, it was, it was, it was a way to get books for my kids. It wasn't, I never thought I'd get a career out of it. Um, but you know, some things happen when you're not (laughs) looking exactly at the prize. Um, but I, you know, I didn't even think, like I said, I didn't think I would get the job because, um, I looked at all the criteria when I haven't been in a position that uses all those criteria, but I'd been in different positions that had used elements of those criteria. But I also think that's something I've learned with age is women tend to look at job applications and see how they're not equipped or how they're not perfect for the job, whereas a lot of men will look at it and go, I'll just, you know, I, I can make it up, you know. And I think that's, you know, something I've learned from this is Be aspirational, not just what you think you can do perfectly. So um, I would say if there's a job you want to go for, go for it (laughs) Um, and get the feedback. Um, And, you know, um, putting yourself out there is, you know, can open you up to rejection, but it can also open you up to amazing opportunities you didn't think you would get. So...
0: I completely um, yeah. agree. Be brave. I completely agree with that. I um, struggled with that a little bit at the start of this year because I was actually applying for my first grad job and um, where we live in central Queensland, there's not too many entry-level marketing jobs. It's like you're the only marketing person at this business or on a small team in local government or whatever it may be. So all the jobs I was applying for were senior and I still got one. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs>
2: Well, it's something I'm still trying to learn. Like I often think I'm not like I feel quite awkward a lot of the time, which is natural for everybody, I think, to feel a certain lack of confidence or um, questioning of your abilities. But I think um, I don't project that as much as I feel that. So um, I've got to stop (laughs) leading with I'm feeling awkward (laughs) right now. Um, (laughs) um, But I think it's, you know, it's, it, it's you know basically acting it out, um, but I think being awkward is natural, and just acting through it is is what gets you through. it. and, and that's something I had to learn pretty early on. Right. <laughs> at Reading Matters, my first Reading Matters in two thousand and eleven. I'd been in the job for four months, um, and I hadn't programmed the the, pro- the conference; it had already been done, and um, but I was in charge, and um, my manager was um, hosting the whole day, the whole the whole event for two days and in the first 20 minutes got really really ill and had to go home and gave me her <laughs> notes to take over um hosting in front of 400 librarians from across the country who didn't really know who I was yet and um it was the most scary moment <laughs> of my life and um her notes i couldn't read oh. they were in her handwriting and i can remember looking at them going oh shit and, um, apparently I had some friends in the crowd and they said, you couldn't tell how nervous I was, but I can remember looking down and from my knee to my ankle, I was shaking so much. My legs were swaying. Oh. So, um, like I actually don't remember a huge amount of that conference because I think I was just <laughs> a state of shock, but, um, you know, I just hosted the um, one this year, this year or last year now. Um, and, um. I did it for two whole days. It was the first time I'd hosted it myself, and um, it felt pretty good. So, I think even if you're in a job for a while, there's you know take those opportunities to push yourself as well. Um, but yeah, I, I don't. I think we should be pushing women to aspire for more. Most definitely, I think men are naturally they're naturally seen as having leadership abilities or the ability to be more senior in a role. But I think we tend to uh, try to hit women in a certain plateau and I think it's nice to lift everyone and encourage people and I definitely look out for other women that I can help bring with me and um, provide opportunities for because um, if it's just about me, it's not worth it for me.
0: Yeah, so, it's
2: about yeah. all of us.
0: And Yeah, indeed. while that, like, I think what you just said is really good you know it is important to you know lift up other women empowered women empower other women as they say but I did also just think mm-hmm. what's that funny thing it's like imagine if we all had the confidence of a, a
2: mediocre, mediocre white, white man.
1: man
2: uh I don't think I'm ever going to have yeah, that I know <laughs>
1: right. I don't think I can quite muster up that confidence but it's so true no. what you're saying though I, um I just finished reading uh, Every Woman by Jess Phillips which is the most amazing book, and um, she was saying in there how uh, she used to work with, like, domestic violence shelters and obviously one of the criteria when they were looking for counsellors was that they had to be female because you're working with people who are overwhelmingly female and would feel a lot safer with a female. Um, And yet she would still get multiple applications from men who had still like read the thing and be like, yeah, I can do that. Like,
0: even though it says says
1: you have to be a woman, like they'd only got like halfway through the job advert and was like, yeah, I can do that. Whereas (laughs) like she kind of said like something along the same lines of what you said that like, Um, men will look at a job interview and if they meet like 10% of the criteria, they'll go for it. But women, it's like 90% of the criteria and they still are like, should I? Yeah,
2: I I had actually decided not to go for the program coordinator position. I decided there was a officer position. I was going to go for that one. Um, and I had an author, um, contact me and say, you should really think about going for this position. So, um. Thanks, Simone Howe. <laughs> oh, I love Simone, <laughs> she's brilliant. Uh, and that was, that was yes, that was in 2010. So, um, you know, she believed in me more than I believed in myself. So, I mean, you know, I would like to provide that belief for other people who are maybe teetering on the edge. And, um, you know, I do a lot. I do what I can to sort of write recommendations for other women in the industry or um, recommend up-and-coming um emerging voices and um, arts workers to my contacts and I do what I can. I'd love to do more. Uh, but I'm also aware that um, I have an enormous amount of privilege and I want to create um, a more of a diverse environment and um, arts industry. So I'm also trying to help people who don't have those those easy gateways that um, a lot of people in Melbourne CPT seem to have. So I'm I'm doing what I can. I'd love to do more, and and I'll try to find more ways. But you know, you can always aspire.
1: To yeah, exactly. <laughs> um. Yeah. So yeah. the centre also runs the really awesome Inky Awards. Um, yes, we do. Yes, <laughs> I was actually a judge when I was in uni. Um, so that was a while ago now. Um, <laughs> but basically, if, if people aren't aware, um, it's the best books from Australia and overseas. Um, so Gold Inky is Australia, Silver Inky is an overseas published book as chosen by teens. So how important um, do you think it was to, to foster this kind of award that's really, you know, by teens for teens?
2: Uh, I think it was essential. I think we talked so much about why a um, from an adult point of view and, uh, you know, all three of us are now adults. <laughs> um, sorry, I just realised, like, I've been an adult for a really long time so that sentence was really weird. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, you know, I think why um, discussions are so dominated by adults and people's perceptions of teenage the teenage years based on their own experience. Like, my, my knowledge of teen experience, if it was just based on myself is now nearly 20 years old. Mm. You know what I mean? And I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm old. (laughs) um, My teen experience is no longer relevant. I didn't have social media. We didn't really have, we had dial up internet. I had a Nokia (laughs) phone when I graduated high school. So our experience isn't different. The feelings are the same but the experience in the context is different. The importance of the Inky Awards is giving the microphone back to teenagers who probably never had it in the first place, to be mm. frank, but it's, it's giving them the opportunity to talk about the books that they love, the books that made an impact, the books that they believe are written well, the books that believe are great storytelling, the books they believe are innovative and diverse and have that um, – shared with the nation in terms of this is what teens like, this is what the teens selected, and the teens, teens can vote on them. So when uh, a book is chosen to be on the long list, short list, or the winner, it has been through a very um, rigid process of selection by people who know teenagers best, teens. Um, so I really just think adults need to get out of the way. I really do believe in the hashtag teens to the front um, my philosophy is that we provide a structure and we provide the opportunity and then we get out of the way. Mm. So, uh, Michelle, we worked on the Inky Awards together. A lot of people don't know what happens in the discussion because we keep it quite private, but really the only, role, the only role of the adult in that discussion is usually just to keep the conversation on track. Sea yeah. Whale um, has no, the Centre for Youth Literature representative in that Meaning doesn't have any doesn't have any say on what goes through at all. Um, it's purely the teen selected long list, uh, the team judge short list, and then the winner is decided by Australian voting teens. So um Sea Whale did research many, many years ago that showed that the best way to get teens reading is peer recommendation, and this is the pu- the most purest form of that is the Inky Awards, showcasing great literature, decided by teens for teens.
1: Yeah. Um, You mentioned there before that um, hashtag teens to the front. And obviously, like, Caitlin and I are adults reading a lot of young adult and most authors writing YA are, you know, also adults. Um, Yeah. How do you keep that space for teens and, and how is that, you know, formed for them?
2: Um, it's it's hard because we all have opinions on YA we all love YA but the thing is you have to create the space and you need to listen so maybe um, a, a year ago I think a teenager wrote a piece The Guardian about YA and a lot of Australian YA people got quite heated about what was the contents of that article um, and I think at one point I, I had to write a comment and usually I try to stay out of it if I can um, and said, you do realise the writer of this article is a teenager and this is their point of view, which makes it valid. Uh, exactly. <laughs> and I could see everyone just go, go, ah! <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, it, um, having a point of view, regardless of whether you're a teenager or adult, can hurt another person's feelings. It, that's just the way it happens. But the thing is, just because a teen is feeling it and saying it doesn't make it invalid. They have the same feelings that we do. They have less life experience, but that doesn't mean that they're wrong. So um, I feel like in terms of what we could be doing is trying to create more opportunities for teenagers. So uh, we do that through Seaway all the time, and that's something I've been really encouraging with other festivals as well. But I would prefer if people are going to be interviewing Um, people about the impact of YA, that they actually interview a teenager or more, which actually, if you actually look at articles written by most um, media outlets, they don't actually ever talk to a teenager. They will talk to an author. They will talk to a bookseller. They might talk to a speech pathologist or a family expert, but they very rarely speak to a teenager. Um, If you're going to a festival seeing how involved teens are. Is there a teen programming committee? Is there, are there teens on stage? Are they doing any of the chairing? Are they up on the panel of experts? We do tend to have teen YA panels, um, but a lot of the time it's people who are adults um, or they're people who are um, older teenagers. And I do think that's something that I'm sort of – Starting to narrow in on right now is we haven't really fostered a space for those like twelve to sixteen. I feel like the sixteen to twenty get ha- have those opportunities, maybe because they're a bit more confident. But the twelve to sixteen, we really need to be nurturing that. And if you think about what your schooling was like as a teenager, I, I don't know how often you felt that you could be honest with the teacher or an adult girls? Uh, well I
1: I was yeah. pretty lucky I went to a quite a small school so um, and I was a total teacher's pet I'm basically Hermione Granger like I'm just total <laughs> pet. I'm, I did not have a normal yeah. teenage experience I don't think I loved yeah. school.
0: I mean <laughs> I loved school I don't know how well I would compare my teenage experience with um, others but I mean it's different for everybody but That, um, what you said then about the age ranges, I just realized that sort of 12 to 16 is probably the time in my life where I was reading the least. And I think it probably was because some of my other friends weren't reading as much. And like, I was always reading, you know, the class assigned book and I was always first to finish it, but I wasn't, I don't know, I'd go in and out of phases and I probably just reread Harry Potter a lot during that time and I didn't yeah. know where to find other books or didn't know um who to talk to about other books because a lot of my close friends then weren't readers. Um and yeah, maybe all the even, way through high school it yeah. was something
1: I kind of kept to myself how much I enjoyed books. I mean i talked to my mum about it because, you know she was one of the people buying me books but and she loves reading too and that's probably where my love of reading grew from but like Mm. I couldn't really talk about it with my friends they'd just be like oh you're reading another book like there was no one really to be like oh I loved this bit or have you read this too and it wasn't actually until Caitlin and our other friend Indy and myself became friends that we could kind of share yeah, a with, young adult as with well, with real life. Friends. Yeah, that we hadn't met online because yeah. until then we we hadn't met anyone in our small town that read the same books as us. Yeah, and
0: yeah, and so I guess that's kind of an interesting thing. Is like I with for me, I think I read the least during that sort of twelve to sixteen because I didn't know where to access any of these things. Whereas my brother, yeah. who is in that age range now. Um, I hope I've been helping him. Yeah, you, know, you can help Like read, you books. know, read these new ones. I keep telling him that he should read like the Maze Runner series, <laughs> and like he's reading Harry Potter at the moment, of course. But um, he's, read, he's got like the Iron Number Four series, and I want him to read the Maze Runner series. And he's read the Hunger Games. He really likes all that kind of stuff. So I think if you've got someone else, I don't know. I guess that can help, or you know, where to find these resources. Then you know that kids that age will read more
1: I was reading a lot but I was reading a lot and we've talked about this before I was reading a lot of adult books because I was just going to the library and they didn't they had like a kid section and then I felt kind of like that I was too old for that but they didn't necessarily have like a specific YA section not yet and yeah not not yet and um So I would just pick up a lot of adult books. I would pick up, read a few pages, not like it, put it back, and I would constantly be in the library picking new books. And I found some great books that way, but I was definitely reading well above my, like what I should have been reading at that stage. Like I I wish I had been reading about other teens going through the same thing. Instead I was reading about people whose marriages are breaking down or like Jodie Picou books about the, you know, girls dying of cancer and stuff. So yeah, yeah, it's odd. <laughs> I,
2: I think the thing is um teens will read if you let them read for pleasure. <laughs> like find them the book that connects for them. It's um it's why we lose so many teenagers. I think um you we're talking about the 12 to 16. I think, you know, particularly like the 15 to 18 is it's all so many school texts that really um, can be really influential, but can also be a real drag depending on the teaching style of um, the instructor. so um, but we', you know, humor isn't particularly present <laughs> in Y a um, and um, it works so well with the junior fiction and middle some middle grade. I mean Annie Griffiths has been amazing, but um, I do have to wonder, like, where that humor sits in terms of YA and I know publishers have been trying it doesn't I don't believe it sells very well but um there's sorts of things that are happening um that are being explored but I think in terms of what we can be doing to help teens is um advocating for them by letting them speak for themselves creating spaces for them um if you're a blogger or uh, and you have um, books that you don't need, then consider donating them to your public library um, or to a disadvantaged school. Um, I think the other thing you should be thinking about is, you know, um, you know, buying a subscription of VoiceWorks for different schools. Think there's there's things you can be doing so kids are aware of the opportunities. Um, right now at the Centre for Youth Literature we're running a program called Story Camp which um, allows uh, low socioeconomic um, students um, 12 to 15 to come into the library, State Library Victoria for three days a week to come and do three different art forms of workshops um, just so they can dip their toe in those experiences because typically they don't get those opportunities so Um, You really just have to have the door open and what can we all be doing to shove that door open so people can see the opportunities and maybe grab for them.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: Yeah. Um, Well, the next thing we would like to talk about is the podcast that you host um, with Kelly Gardner. It's called Unladylike, isn't it? Yep. Yes. Yes. Yes, (laughs) Why did you start a podcast? (laughs)
2: Um, oh, actually, I had a podcast before Snickety Snark, so if I'd stuck with that, I would have been a podcast innovator. <laughs> <laughs> so, Unladylike was um, was a collaboration between me and Kelly Gardner, who I adore. I'm such an amazing writer across many um, uh, genres and, and forms, and she's just amazing. Um, and we both wanted to start a podcast and I was thinking about interviewing women and children's and YA and she was thinking of interviewing women not in those areas (laughs) so we sort of brought it together um and we worked on it for a year before we actually released the first episode we were recording for six months before that it's quite a lot of work um as you know (laughs) coordinating people and doing the reading and I mean interviewing someone like me is a bit easier because you don't have to read as much because I haven't published anything (laughs) but um I was always excited when I got to interview someone like me because there wasn't a book to read necessarily (laughs) but um but when you're interviewing two women with you know a lot of work um there's quite a lot of prep but the reason we wanted to do it is we were realizing a lot of festivals and interviews and and everything that the only time we actually got to see two women or more women speak about their writing together was typically if it was on stage at a festival and it was, like, Feminism 101 or, like, Writing as a Mother. And um, (laughs)
0: and,
2: and really they were never getting to get past really – surface level discussions of things and what we really wanted to do was actually talk to women who knew each other quite well and really dig in or put two people together who have nothing in common other than the fact that they're female and and see what comes out of the conversation so really unladylike podcast is about women women who write in conversation and um we've we've just released our 20th episode um and it's it's um it's been a lot of work but we're really proud of it and we get such amazing
0: feedback but like (laughs) <laughs> people don't realize how much work podcasts are <laughs> yeah, i did not realize how much work they were until we started out until we started this one
1: obviously. just misguidedly said let's start yeah.
0: a podcast oh my god yeah. you probably did a lot more research oh. and preparation than we did we we gave came, ourselves what like two months we lead came time? up with the idea at the start of june last year and published our first episode at the end of july
2: wow no I mean that's how I did it the first time too I'm (laughs) like I I keep and this is the worst thing I'm doing a podcast it takes up a lot of time and we only release an episode every month because that's all we can basically deal with (laughs) um and I keep going oh I'd love to do a podcast another one and I'm like I don't have time to do the editing um the editing is is such a big piece of work yeah um I had an episode that took me once, I think, eight hours. So it was my whole day, um, and I actually like editing, but um, it, it it just eats into your time. But um, the buzz of releasing—we released five episodes right off the bat—was um, like phenomenal, and the feed, the the support we got from everyone was wonderful. And it's also been a really good opportunity for me to talk to writers outside of YA we do interview people in YA but it's been really good for me to stretch and see that my skills are transferable and talking to writers outside and there is this weird like feeling that children's in YA isn't equitable yeah. <laughs> to uh, like adult literature in the in the general industry it's not a feeling that I share at all but I I, I, I've, I have struggled with feeling like I'm equipped to be talking to people that aren't from that from my industry, and that's something I've had to deal with. I've internalised some of that um, snobbish <laughs> uh, disdain. Yeah. But everyone I've spoken to has been so lovely and wonderful, and I've read so many authors I wouldn't have read otherwise, and it's really stretched my reading. And um, Kelly is such a phenomenal interviewer, and working with her, has really boosted my confidence quite a lot. And, uh, you know, um, it's a really – it's a partnership that means a lot to me and I really like working with her. So I think even if no one was listening, I'd still like to listen – like work with Cal because she's great. So, yeah, it's been – it's just been a wonderful opportunity and, you know, hearing people's reactions to episodes, like um, someone said that by listening to the, to the Tessa Dare episode – um, who's a historical romance writer, said that they started reading romance the first time and before that they'd sort of dismissed it. And I had um, I had a lot of people coming up to me about the swearing episode with Tony Jordan and Patricia Cornelius um, telling me that they felt very naughty listening to that on the train and laughing because there is a lot of swearing. <laughs> like it starts off like with a reading from Patricia's um, play, Shit. So... <laughs> It's that all these amazing people and um, I'm really excited to you know record more this year, but again, it's a lot of work, so it's nice to hear get feedback as I'm sure you guys would attest. So yeah. I'm sure better words would love all the um, iTunes reviews you can throw at them. Yes, please
0: <laughs> give us a response. Every time anyone
1: says anything about the podcast, we're like, Really? Oh you listen? God, oh
2: thank you. you. <laughs> yeah.
1: We had, a, we had a close friend um, who was like listening and he's been like catching up on all our past episodes and like texting me. I like texting me different things and I'm like, oh, that's so sweet. Like it means so much to me. No, it's not just my mom, although like my mom has been <laughs> listening and my mom does listen and it's really cute. But yeah. you know, like it, it's Aww. really lovely to know that other people are listening and that there are our friends when we get random people telling us they listened who don't know us. At all, it's yeah. even better. It just makes our day. Anyway, yeah. um, can so you? <laughs> everyone who's
0: listening, just tweet us right now, and we will love you so much.
1: Okay. Um, you. Adele, can, can you give us a sneak peek of what might be coming up on Unladylike this year? Oh, we haven't even heard anything <laughs> about it. Uh, Fair enough. No, actually, Fair enough. That's
2: true. There's, there's people that we would like to get, and I, I, I'm reluctant to say because we have a lot of people please don't do this, who tweet us adding the person that they want us to invite. <laughs> um, and often, you know, who we invite is, you know, has been a long way in the works and we've been talking to them for a while or it could be completely opposite. But um, uh, there is a dream person I would like to get and Kelly knows. <laughs> Um, but I might not be able to speak the entire <laughs> – <Yeah. laughs> I've already had a quite a weird um, green room interaction with this person um, <laughs> in that I couldn't even face. Them. Uh, uh, so I, I can remember I had uh, Nadia from Text, the publicist, just like – What is going
1: on? I think that's happened with almost every author that I've met that I completely love. I'm just like, I love your book so much. Can you please sign it? Thank you. Like, I just, I can't, (laughs) like, I don't have any words. And I'm just like, I love you so much. Oh, this
2: is, this is probably going to get, like, no, this is going to get name droppy. But, um, like I work in a professional context, um, programming a lot of authors from Australia and international. I go, over to conferences overseas to try and meet people to try and get them for reading matters and things like that. Um, so I meet a lot of incredible people and usually I can hold it together. Yeah. <laughs> it's just that this one person who is an Australian comedy icon, I couldn't keep my shit together. <laughs> um, I couldn't even, I couldn't, I honestly couldn't even look at her. I was just, I, it meant too much to me. So um, okay, I think we can get, that person in the future. Um, We're hoping to do, I know we're trying to set up a crime one soon. We haven't done crime. Um, We're definitely trying to cover all the um, genres and try to provide unique um, pairings. Um, I'm really proud of the content we've put up. It's, it's, it's reflective of the Australian industry and its diversity and of voices and and formats and backgrounds and entry points into publishing and I think even if you're not into poetry you can learn something from listening to the poetry episode even if you're not into non-fiction you can learn something from that and I I know um our editing episode did wildly well that was um um, between the writer and the, the editor and talking about their relationship and we really just want to give space for women to have those conversations about what they do, how they do it, why they do it and why they continue to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so um, and also they're really funny. Like women are really bloody funny and often I have to edit out or di- like dial down a lot of the giggles. So um, that's been wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah I you know I, I haven't interviewed Melina for it yet but I mean Melina knows she's my number one she's very cool about the fact that I, I you know I keep the fangirling internal with Melina but she knows
0: <laughs> I know well I have, to, I have to say we've had um some we've had the opportunity to talk We've to had, some pretty amazing like, authors some of and our favorite
1: artists. authors on yeah
0: gabrielle oh. Toza was one of the first people that we interviewed and i was so excited <laughs> because i was i was really nervous because it was like one of our first interviews it might have even been the mm-hmm. first it was
1: either danielle or gab, or gab that yeah. we interviewed actually but, i think i think we interviewed danielle first on like thursday night and then like and then gab on like saturday morning or something yeah
0: i don't know either way i was just we were just starting. We hadn't launched yet. I was shocked that Gabrielle even said yes because, like, who the hell are we? And then I was just so excited. And, like, if anyone listens to that episode, you can hear me squealing <laughs> in the first five minutes. So, uh, yeah.
2: I mean, I, mean, I think that's the great thing about the YA community is how supportive it is, um, particularly... The writers towards the podcasters and the bloggers and, and how giving they are, um, I I can't I sometimes worry that they give too much, <laughs> but um, but I think they're just so generous with their time and their support and their consideration. So um, we're very lucky. That's not always the case in every industry, particularly writing. Um, children's and way writers um, are wonderful. Yeah,
1: they are definitely. Cause like none of us are being paid for, you know, these podcasts or anything, but then again, like the writers who take their time or like yourself today, taking your time out of your weekend to chat to us, you're not being paid either. Um, so we really appreciate everyone who comes on this show. Um, Cause yeah, it's really good.
2: <laughs> oh, thanks.
1: <laughs> um, so we talked a little bit before about, you know, switching careers and kind of building yeah. on a blogging platform. Do you have any specific tips? Like I know you gave a few before, but can you kind of give a few tips to people who want to kind of they might have been blogging for a little while and think maybe they want something different and maybe they want to break into the industry a little bit
2: more? Yeah. So I can remember when I was when I was blogging in Japan, which is my I want to say second or third year blogging. Um, I actually wrote a letter to Mike Shuttleworth, who was my predecessor, and um, I said to him, "I don't really know what I want to do, but I know I want to work in books. Um, what, like, what do you think I need to?" I actually asked my predecessor, who I didn't know was going to be my predecessor at the time, like what he thought. And his his advice was move to Melbourne.
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know what? That which, um, seems like a pretty good idea. <laughs> yeah. Which
2: um, is not achievable for everybody. Exactly. But I, I do, and nor do I think that's the only pathway to please. I do think um, I wouldn't have moved to Melbourne if I hadn't got the job in Melbourne. <laughs> but Melbourne terrified me. I'm from Adelaide. I'm from country South Australia. Oh, so I completely um, agree with you. Yeah, I'm actually I'm from terrified. Adelaide
0: originally as well. And... <laughs>
1: I've lived. The first I've lived in time I had to, and I've lived in a dorm room on the Gold Coast, and that's that's it. And I'd like Melbourne. The thought of Melbourne, it's terrifying.
2: <laughs> well, the first time I had to go to work, I had to step out onto a suburban road and get into a tram, and the idea of trusting no. <laughs> drivers to stop was just so. I, I was terrified on the footpath. I really was. Mm. But and then I got into the CBD. And people walked so fast yeah. and there were so many people and i it really was an adjustment. And um, I think there is a bit of a Melbourne bubble um, and um, I, I'm probably well within that now, but I do remember how outsider I felt coming into that and how ill-equipped and I, I didn't really know anyone. I knew one blogger um, and um, that was it. <laughs> And we've never met in real, per- in real life. So I actually stayed with her for my first week in the job because my, um, the place I was going to rent wasn't available. So, yeah, there you go. Blogging, you know, saves lives and gives you a roof over. It does. But, um, that's how
1: I, that's, that's uh, how I stayed in England for a little bit. So. <laughs>
2: um, my, my advice would be um, don't think of the specific job you want, particularly someone else's job don't look at uh, this is just like you know the cuz i just mentioned nadia don't look at the text publicist job as the job that you want think about the career that you want to have what do you want to do what do you enjoy what is the way that you can create a job out of that so for me things that i enjoy i like finding connections between people and making that work in a program and I'm I'm good at that too. Um, I know a lot about a lot of different things so I can draw upon that. I'm really passionate about YA. I knew quite a bit about social media and podcasting and blogging and all the the back end of that. Um, I also knew a lot about grant applications and things and um, the business side of things because I was an acting principal at 27. I also um, had been on lots of different committees and things like that. So I just think um, you can't mirror someone else's job trajectory and you can't aspire just to be, you know, the next per- like person in a specific job. You need to create a full career um, sort of bubble for yourself. So um, things that I love doing, I love working with people. I love being collaborative. I like working in partnerships. I like working across different platforms. I like doing physical programming and digital programming. I like having a bit of a a toe in the social media world. I like dealing with authors. I like working with publishers. I like reading YA. I like to know what's happening internationally. I like reading research. There's lots of things that I like. And fortunately, that all made me very equipped for this job but I didn't know that um so I think it's not making yourself sort of fit into a box I think it's more that you need to sort of really develop a life a, a lot of um pockets of things that you're good at um don't put all your eggs in one basket and if there's stuff that you're not good at so for me um I failed accounting well I didn't fail accounting I got a D um I, I didn't do well in accounting at in year 11 and so I just thought finance stuff isn't really for me um so I did it again at uni and did slightly better um and it's something I've had to work a lot harder at but it's now one of my strengths because it was something I put the work into building up um and you know, that's really helped with grant applications and acquittals and um, doing stats and KPIs and all the stuff that people don't associate with my job because a lot of people
0: believe that I read at my desk and I wish, I wish that was the case. Tell me about it. I think everyone, I'm a social media and marketing officer and I think everyone else at my company just thinks I play on Facebook all day. Yeah.
2: (laughs) And the thing is, like, if you... Don't look at the job you want. Look at the skills you need, I think. And, I mean, you could say this too. Like, if you're working in social media, it's not just... You have to be able to write copy. Mm -hmm. You need to be able to do some graphic design, hopefully quite well. You need to understand analytics. You need to understand strategy. You need to understand relationships between all the other teams. You need to understand deadlines and timelines and the project management style of approach. There's a lot of stuff you need to know. So I think the best thing you can do is probably talk to someone about what they don't like about their job or what they've had to learn on the job instead of all the fun things because, believe me, the fun stuff is, like, maybe 1%. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to be really frank, um, you know, um, I've spent a lot, you know, I've mentioned grants a lot. <laughs> Unfortunately, the Australian literary community has really gotten hit a lot the last few years and Whale has had a lot of grant support since it's, um, it was founded in the 90s um doing grant applications and acquittals and and all that has been a huge part of my job that people would not know anything about um I always think LinkedIn is a really interesting experience in people telling you what they think you do for your job (laughs) you know when they give you they give you endorsements if you look at my endorsements What people think um, my job is compared to what my job is is quite different. It's hilarious to me. Um, So people, my high-scoring, I'm just going to pull it out now because it always gives me the giggles. My high-scoring, like, um, endorsements and featured skills are social social media, literature, and then blogging. Now, I don't actually do any of the social media for C- center for youth literature <laughs> since probably the last year at times i've been doing a lot of it but um i'm not i'm uh, social media is not my job um i'm the program coordinator so my is underneath me work on that and we consult uh literature as a skill set i don't know what that is <laughs> <laughs> and um I don't, I, you know, um, I haven't blogged actively since 2011. I, I um, stopped when I started in the job. So um, the exciting thing for me is I'll be blogging as one of the few adults on the new Insider Dog website when we launch that. Um, but, yeah, it, my top three skills are, like, if you look at it, programming. I don't think I've got anything against programming. It's one of my major components. No one knows that I work on grants. I think you really need to talk to someone <laughs> If you have an idea of the career you want to work in, not the job that you want, talk to a couple of people about what they do, what they struggle with, um, what they've had to learn that they didn't learn at uni. It's finding those, um, it's doing the Venn diagram of like what, like in the middle, what do you need to learn? Um, And there's always going to be something to learn and I think it's also having a commitment to continue to learn. Um, But also don't be so focused on the goal need life experience yeah, too, definitely. like do other things and the thing and is like i've destination. done this. yeah exactly and you know um a lot of that stuff that you do on the side for you can sometimes end up influencing the job in the end anyway like what you learn about and who you interact with and i think um allow for happy happenstance i guess yeah <laughs> but just don't be so fixed on where you want to end up because you might get there and you might not enjoy it. That's a really harsh reality. Yeah,
1: that's
0: <laughs> so that's true. 100% true. Yeah.
2: That's so
1: true. Yeah. And I think a lovely bit know, of advice I've, from um Gabrielle Tozer, one of our very first episodes, was that you don't always have to keep moving up the career ladder either. Like if you want to take yeah. a step away or, yeah, step you know, sideways or backwards. Yeah. Down, it doesn't you know, like whatever you know, suits yeah. you, don't feel like you constantly have to be like, better and better and better and better jobs
2: yeah I um you know I I I hear people's you know for me you know I've I've now been in the job seven years you know people do talk to me about like what do you want to do next you could be like the you know program manager of MWF or like all this stuff and it's like I never aspired to be <laughs> like the programmer for a, a whole festival like that's not something that was ever in my plan actually working at CYL was never in my plan I was just going to teach until I retired because you know that was the plan <laughs> from the age of 17 yeah, you know right. um, <laughs> and but that's the thing that we do to teenagers you know you have to decide your pathway with what you could choose in terms of subjects as a teenager to decide your uni path to decide your career path and the thing is I did exactly what so many people did as I'm already on my second I'm on my second career I was a teacher and now I I work at the library and maybe I'll have another career you know but I think just don't get fixed on the on what the outcome is focus on what you want to learn what are the goals Who, like maybe, who do you want to work with? Who do you want to learn from? Um, And also, I taught in Japan um, for a year when I was 27 and it didn't help my career in any shape or form. But boy, was that a huge thing for me in my life in terms of what I learned and what I took away and a lot of the thinking that I did about myself and what I wanted. So don't, it doesn't always have to be, yeah getting you forward. Sometimes it's just about you getting to know yourself better.
1: absolutely. And on that wonderful note, we might just um we might end it there, and yeah, I um, love that. Thank you so much, Adele. Where can people find you if they want to follow you on social media? <sighs> so many places.. Uh, <laughs>
2: uh twitter um i'm at snarky wench i'm also on instagram as at snarky wench uh i'd say snapchat but i don't ever really use it except for with my nieces um so don't worry about that one uh <laughs> um but so yeah basically twitter and instagram but if you're looking for um unladylike we have a website at unladylikepodcast.com and we have 20 amazing episodes Um, Two of which are with YA authors. We have Kath Crowley, Simone Howe, and Fiona Woods. (laughs) I don't know why I just paused in the (laughs) middle of Fiona's name, Fiona Wood. Um, And they're talking about this is before their book came out. Take Three Girls, and we've also um, who else have I spoken to? We've got a whole amazing back catalogue. And if you like romance, which I do, we've got two episodes on romance as well um, and lots of other things. But you can find that on unladylikepodcast.com and we're on Instagram and Twitter as it's unladylike. Oh. No apostrophe, unfortunately, which kills <laughs> oh, it.
1: Oh, I know. When it's so <laughs> uh, I know. <laughs> well, um, I also go blank when I try to plug our show. So, Caitlin, where can people find us? At Better Words Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and
0: Facebook. Better Words Podcast is our website, and you can find all our episodes wherever you're actually listening because obviously you've already found them. Um, leave us a review though and go check out Unladylike. Excellent. Thank you so much, Adele.
2: Oh, thank you for having me, ladies. And if anyone wants some career advice, hit me up on Twitter,
0: I guess. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Bye.